Today, we look at the greatest love story in the Bible. The story of Jacob and Rachel. Genesis chapter 29 is where you'll find this story. And as you turn there, let me catch you up to speed. Last week, we ended with the most famous dream in the Bible. And after this dream, Jacob says, out for the east. Actually going northeast to what is modern-day Syria. And if he walked, this could have taken months. When he finally gets to Haran, he sees a well. And there are shepherds gathering at this well because this is a community well. It's a shared well. And these shepherds are gathering there because on top of the well is, is this real heavy stone that would have taken three or four adult men to move the stone off the top of the well so they could get to the water. So these shepherds are gathering at this well because they need each other to move that stone. And this is the first well that Jacob's come to. And so he goes there and he asks them, Do you know my uncle Laban? And they say, Yes, we do. We know him. He's well. He's healthy. And in fact, if you look over there, you'll see that's Rachel. That's coming this way. That's his daughter. She's a shepherd. And Jacob takes this as a sign. Now let's read. This is Genesis chapter 29, starting at verse 9. While he, while Jacob was still talking to them, to the shepherds, Rachel came with her father's flock, since she was its shepherd. When Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his uncle, and the flock of Laban, Jacob came up, rolled the stone from the well's opening. All right, let's stop for a second right here. All right, you know how teenage boys will sometimes try to show off to impress a cute girl that they'll show off by trying to show how strong they are? That's what's happening right here. As Jacob single-handedly moves the stone off the well. Now remember, Jacob is 40 now. So he probably paid for this with a few visits to the chiropractor the next week. Alright, but let me get serious. Let's get back to the story. Alright, so Jacob rolled the stone from the well's opening and watered the flock of his uncle Laban. And then verse 11. Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. Alright, so what's going on right here? What's this weeping? What's this kissing? What's this all about? Alright, so what's happening right here is the writer is showing you the depth of Jacob's emotions. Jacob is overwhelmed. Remember, Jacob's mom told him, I want you to leave and go to the old country, to go to where I'm from, and I want you to find a wife. And God has appeared to Jacob, and he said, I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to bless you, and everyone is going to, going to be blessed through you. And then at the first will, Jacob comes to, and he finds Rachel, who is beautiful, and everything is just so perfect. And lining up so that it's a God thing. 
And this is also hostile poetic. That William Shakespeare did not create the idea of love at first sight in Romeo and Juliet. That's what's going on right here. Jacob is overwhelmed at God's goodness and how his life now seems to be coming together. So that's what this kissing and this weeping is all about. It's love. And if we read the next couple of verses, we're going to read that Jacob stays and works for Laban for a month. Why does he stay? Because of the girl. Because of Rachel. Because he loves her. And as he stays and as he works for Laban, Jacob continues to fall deeper and deeper in love with Rachel. And after a month, Laban says, Son, it's not right that you stay and work for me for free. What do you want? Name your price. Let's read verses 16 to 18. Now Laban had two daughters. The older was named Leah and the younger Rachel. Leah had delicate eyes. All right, this is one of the phrases and one of the verses that I love to look at in different Bible translations. All right, so our translation just said that Leah had delicate eyes. Others will say that she had weak eyes. And some will say that she had beautiful eyes. Our Old Testament comes from the Hebrew, the Masoric text. And the word that's actually used right here literally means soft. So right now you're thinking, okay, Aaron, that's great, but what does it mean that Leah had soft eyes? Well, you know how when you're trying to tell a young guy that he needs to go on a date with a young woman, and the man asks, what does she look like? And then you say she has a wonderful personality. What's that mean? It means that she has a wonderful personality. What do you think it means? But, okay, we're in the deep south, so you know sometimes that means that her personality is a best-looking thing about her. All right? So this could be a nice way of saying that Leah had pretty eyes, but that was the only pretty thing about her. But what I think is the more accurate translation is saying that she had weak eyes, that there was some deformity or abnormality. There was something wrong with her eyes that kept her from being considered beautiful, something that kept her from feeling loved and wanted and kept her from getting married. And last week, we looked at two brothers. This week, we look at the story of two sisters. One has weak eyes. Let's read about the other one. Leah had delicate eyes. But Rachel had a beautiful figure and was good-looking. One was hot, one was not. Verse 18, Jacob loved Rachel and said, 
I will work for you for seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. Now remember, last week as we, looking, as we were looking at the first 18 years of Jacob's life, what word did you use to describe him? Selfish. Does this sound selfish right here? I'll work for you seven years to have your daughter's hand in marriage. No. This is starting to show you the change that's come over Jacob's life now that he's had an encounter with God. He's realizing that life is not just about him and what he wants and how much he can get. It's about him blessing others. And also, this is showing you the depth of his love and the commitment that he has for her. And as we read verse 20, this is another high-style, beautiful, poetic lines right here. Jacob worked for Rachel for seven years, but it seemed like only a few days because he loved her. They seemed like only a few days. Isn't that beautiful? It's high-style poetic. And you're supposed to see the depth here. What I mean is, this ain't Greece. Summer loving had me a blast. All right, let me get serious before I get in trouble. But if we keep reading, you're going to see that Jacob and Rachel, they showed their commitment and love for one another. That Jacob and Rachel wait for their wedding night to be intimate. They waited seven years. Which leads us to our big conflict. Our next scene is the wedding surprise. This is verse 21 and 22. After working for seven years, Jacob said to Laban, The time has come. Give me my wife so that I may sleep with her. So Laban invited all the people that place and prepared a banquet. It's time for the wedding. There's a banquet. There's wine. There's food. There's wine. There's dancing. There's wine. But while this should be a joyful night, there's going to be a dirty, dirty trick. All right, you know how at our weddings, bride wears these veils. All right, you know how we lift the veil before the ceremony starts? You know where that tradition comes from? Right here, right here in this story. All right, now before we get going in this story, let's just talk about wedding and culture of what's going on in here. Now back during this time, the veils were not like our veils that women wear today that are basically see-through and mostly decoration. All right, veils during this time, they were thick. All right, they were heavy. You couldn't see through them. All right, and the women and the men, they didn't have much interaction during the wedding. The women were in a group. The men were in the group. The priest performed the service. And then there was a party, but remember there's wine? But there's dancing, and there's wine, and 
the women dance together in a group and the men dance together in a group and oh remember there's wine and then finally when it's dark and everything's over the groom goes into the tent to be with his wife let's read verses 23 25 however in the evening he Laban took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob and he Jacob slept with her Leah Laban had given his servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah as her servant and in the morning there she was Leah and Jacob said to Laban what have you done to me? Didn't I work for you to have Rachel? Why did you betray me? All right, now, let me just be honest with you for a second. I listen to a lot of preachers, and I think it would be way too easy to just try to preach something right here. And that preaching would just be at an artificial, superficial, surface level reading of what's going on in the text. What I mean is I think it's just way too easy for preachers to come up with these lines that sound good. Like, if you live your life as a deceiver, eventually life will out-trick you. Or, if you live your life as a lie, one day you'll wake up next to Leah. Or to try to do some weird symbolism where you say that Leah represents the law and Rachel represents grace. No, okay? Listen. If we believe this Bible is true, that means this really happened. That means this story really happened. That means that these people are real, they have feelings. Emotions. They have motivations. So let's be real. And let's look at the people in this story. Now, if we're honest, we almost want to laugh at Jacob in this story. He wakes up with someone that's not his wife. We almost want to laugh at that, don't we? But then there's this moment of silence and you realize the sadness is right there. But let's go back to that question that I know you have. How, how is it that Jacob was confused that night? Okay, of course there was a thick veil, the heavy veil, and I'll try to make it clear there was plenty of wine flowing. And then, of course, by the time that Jacob made his way into the tent, it's dark. There's a woman waiting for him inside the tent, and she doesn't say a word. They make love. He passes out. Okay, this is masterful storytelling right here. But let's look at the human side and the people involved here. Where's Rachel? Have you ever thought about that? Where's Rachel in this story? Probably 
taught up in a tent, with her father commanding her to be silent? What's she thinking? What's she feeling? This is her wedding day. This is the day that she's dreamed of. And her heart is breaking. She loves Jacob. This is supposed to be her day and her night. Uh, no one ever preaches about Leah here. What is she thinking? What is she feeling? She's being forced to play the role of an imposter. Something that she didn't choose. Her father is forcing her to do this. What is she thinking as she stands there with the veil over her face? Do you think that she's crying as she knows that she's breaking her sister's heart and their relationship will never be the same? It's not her choice. This isn't what she wants to do. I mean, what woman grows up thinking and dreaming about the man she is going to trick into marrying her? And then, in the tent, what is she thinking? As Jacob makes love to her, is she biting her tongue, holding back her emotions, holding back tears? What do you think she's thinking? This isn't the way I imagined it to be. And then what do you think she's praying as she's waiting for that morning sun to come out? Dear God, please don't let him kill me. God, please make him love me. Please make him want me. Do you see the tragedy and the heartbreak in this story? And can you relate? Life hasn't worked out the way any of these people wanted it to. Rachel, Leah, Jacob. So who's the bad guy here? It's so easy to say lady. But think about it. This story's happening about 4,000 years ago. Laban's a daddy. He's a daddy who knows that he's going to die. And he knows that his priority is making sure that his daughters are taken care of. And he's going to do what he has to do to make sure his daughters are taken care of. Because he's not going to be able to leave an inheritance to them because they're girls. He wants to make sure that they're provided for. So let's walk in Laban's shoes for a mile. For years, he's been trying to find someone who will marry Leah with her delicate, soft, weak eyes. And no one will do it. There's no insurance. There's no social security. It's just her finding a husband. And now, Laban has a chance to make sure his oldest daughter will be cared for. Of 
course, he does it in a very messed up, human, and broken way. But of course, in the end, he's going to give Rachel to Jacob. But this is his chance to ensure that both of his daughters will be taken care of. He's just dad trying to take care of his kids. But he's doing it in his own way, in his own strength, in his own mind, as messed up. So we see that this is a very, very human story. And this leads us to our next, a very human part of the story, which is the desperate need to be loved. We see that Leah wants to be loved. But the problem is that she wants to be loved by a man who can only give her so much. And let's be honest, it's not Jacob's fault. He was tricked into marrying her. He's going to provide for her, provide her a home, and try to take care of her and give her what she needs, but he's in love with her sister. And as we continue to read the story, we see that Leah tries to win Jacob's love. If we read to the rest, of, from verse 29 to the rest of the chapter, we start to see that Leah starts to have sons. And she's hoping these sons will win Jacob's love. But do they? No. And then you start to see this sister fight, this wife fight, this sister rivalry. That Leah has the sons, but Rachel has a love. And what does Rachel want? She wants sons. What does Leah want? She wants love. Both sisters want what they don't have and become jealous of each other. Well, let's stay with Leah for a second. What she missed was verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was in love. God saw her. So that while she was trying to have sons to win a man's love, God is saying, Leah, I see you. I love you. What this really means for us is that if we know, not just think, not just believe, not just hope, but if we know that we are loved, we live differently. So our task and our mission is to live out the love of God that we've experienced. But getting back to the story, we see that Jacob and Rachel, they love each other very, very much. But their story didn't unfold the way they wanted. It's not the way they would have written it. And you know what? That's the way life is. No marriage is perfect. They have their problems. Beginning of chapter 30, we get a record of the fight that they had. They had their problems. They had their challenges. They had their heartache. That's how it is for all of us. Now, 
I told you today we're looking at the greatest love story in the Bible. And most stories, they have an ending. So forgive me if this gets a little sad, but let's look at the ending of this love story. Jump over to Genesis chapter 35. We'll come back next week and fill in part of what we're skipping, but we're jumping ahead 20 years. After 20 years of living in what's modern-day Syria, Jacob takes his family back to his home. And as he moves south and west with his family, Rachel's pregnant again. And it's a surprise. She's probably in her late 40s now. There's excitement and there's joy. And Jacob's close to 70 now. It wasn't planned, but there's excitement and hope and a feeling of newness. Let's read verses 16 through 20. They left Bethlehem, and when they were still some distance from Ephrath, that's Bethlehem, Rachel went into hard labor. During her difficult labor, the midwife said to her, Don't be afraid. You have another son. And as her life faded away, just before she died, she named him Ben Oni. Drop down and in the footnotes of your Bible you see that name means son of my suffering. But his father, Jacob, named him Benjamin. Drop down. And you see your footnote there means son of my right hand. Verse 19. Rachel died and was buried near the road to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Jacob set up a pillar on her grave. It's the pillar on Rachel's tomb that's still there today. Let's go back to that name, Benjamin. Benjamin means son of my right hand. Who is Jacob's right hand? Whose hand did he want to hold in his right hand? Rachel's. Jacob loved Rachel. She died in childbirth, giving birth to their last son. And Jacob names his son after her. This is a sad ending, but life sometimes is sad. And in this story, this love story of Jacob and Rachel, we see that in life, even for those who are dearly loved by God, there will be tragedies. He loved her dearly. Tragedy happened. And that's life. Jacob's going to live for several more years. And when he gets close to his death, you know who he's talking about? Rachel. You know what he's telling Joseph about? About this moment. About the sorrow 
about the heartbreak he feels when he loses his wife, when he loses his Rachel. It's a beautiful love story. It's not perfect, but it's real. Now, what about Leah? Told you this was a Sunday when we looked at two sisters. So what about Leah? I like to imagine what it's like when she gets to heaven. What do you think God says to her when she stands before him? I like to imagine God. taking her face in his hands and saying, my child, my daughter, my girl, my baby, I love you. I created you. I formed you in the womb. You are beautiful. You are wonderful. And I always thought your eyes were the most beautiful thing about you. In this life, there will be tragedy. Families are dysfunctional. But the good news is God loves you. And best of all, God loves you.